This week, we're going to wrap this series up and talk about us returning back out into the world in order to change it. One amen. Thank you for that. Amen. We need to go back out. You know, we come to church on Sundays, and, and some of you have been showing up now on Wednesdays, and, and that's good. Uh, but you know what? This is just a, this is just a gas station. This is just a, a topping off spot. This is just a place for you to come and get filled up. But, you know, you shouldn't just take what you get in church or even if you're watching online or watching somebody else on TV, you shouldn't just get what you're being given and go sit in the house with it. Come on, somebody. We shouldn't just be going and, and, and sitting there going, man, God, you're so good. Mm. Well, why is he good? Well, he's good to us because we're his kids. But, you know, he wants more kids. He wants a bigger family. And so in order for us to take this, in order for us to get more kids in God's family, we need to take that goodness that he keeps revealing himself to us about. And come on, go show that to somebody else. Come on now, you need to amen me better than that. You need to go show that to somebody else. And that's what we're talking about this week. Returning back to the world and changing it. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 14 says... You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I could say this, and I better get 100% response from this. We have the answer that everyone needs. We have the answer that everybody needs. There's nothing nothing out there that that anybody is going through or that anybody has uh, an answer for that we don't have it. Some of you are already going, well, I don't have all the answers in my life. Yes, you do. You may not realize it. You may not see him manifested yet, but listen, everything that you have need of is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. I mean, how many of you know there's, there's nothing that's under the sun that God doesn't know about or have a, a, a part of? Come on. You already have that. You have a relationship with Jesus. You have the answer that everyone needs. However, we haven't always been the best at presenting this. How we've presented it, or maybe the fact that we have not presented it, has caused a lot of people to not experience it. And man, that will really mess with you. When you start thinking about the fact that people in the world aren't experiencing the goodness of God because of us. Let me hide behind this table. That hurts, doesn't it? But you know, if we start thinking about it that way... That'll cause us to, come on, react a little differently and, and, come on, do something differently. There's a quote by an author named Brennan Manning, and he says this, The single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. Painful. They acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him by their very lifestyles. That is what an unbelieving world 
simply finds unbelievable. Listen, we've either painted God as someone who hates sinners, hates people that don't belong to him, ready to beat him on the head with a tack hammer, or we've said nothing. And, and it's just all, you know, that's just all there is to it. We've, we've, we've painted God in extreme forms. Now, you may be sitting there going, I've never painted God in any way, shape, or form like that. Well, maybe you're one of the ones that was supposed to say something to somebody that was going to paint God in a good picture, but yet you're one of the ones that said, come on, nothing. It's one of those two extremes. One of those two extremes is, is what the Christian world is guilty of. We have painted God either as someone who hates them or, or we've said nothing. And I want to make, I'm going to use a buzzword right now that's real popular in the church. Both of those are irrelevant to a world that needs help. Relevant is a real big buzzword right now. Everybody's like, well, is your church relevant? Well, is your church relevant? Well, is, is your service relevant? Well, is your pastor relevant? Well, are, you know, is your congregation relevant? Well, what does the word relevant mean? It means that to what you do, does it pertain to me and my life and my situation right now? That's what the word relevant means. So the question is, is are you relevant? Are we relevant? Well, yeah. Why? Because we have the answer everybody needs. So I have, I have a relevant answer for you. You going through something? I have a relevant answer for you. You got a problem? I have a relevant answer for you. So if my message is relevant and, and what I have to say and what I'm experiencing in my life is relevant, then how come I'm not affecting somebody? Well, it's got to be in how the way I'm portraying it. How many of you right now could just, if we, if we had the time to pass the microphone and, and go around the room, everybody, how many of you could just tell me about the goodness of God in your life? If you, if you just know God's done something good in you, just raise your hand up real high. If God's done something good in your life, come on, raise your hand. See, we all have, come on, you know what that is? That's relevant. Amen. That pertains to somebody else, all right? Listen, love is the most relevant thing in the world. Everybody needs it. Everyone enjoys it. Everyone has a place for it in their lives that needs to be filled. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 8, it says, But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God, come on, is love. So if love is the most relevant thing in the world and God is love, what does that mean? God's the most relevant thing that we have access to. Everybody needs God. Everybody, you, you know, everybody enjoys God. You know, most of the time when you hear people talk about why they don't go to church, it's not because of God. It's because of people. It's true. It is true. And most people enjoy the, the, even the idea of Jesus. Most people are down with it. You go somewhere in Muslim countries and they'll tell you how good Jesus is. Oh, yeah, I, Jesus was a good teacher. Most people are okay with the idea and the thought of God. Most everybody has a place for God in their life. But they're not receiving the same God that we have. And so therefore we need to be doing our part to paint him in the right light. It is usually our actions that affect what people think about God. Now I want to talk to you today about three different kinds of people in the church. And I'm not just saying this church, I'm saying the church in general, all right? And it's one of, we're either, we're, we're one of these three people, all right? The first two aren't good, okay? 
I'll just tell you right now. And, and these first two is what most of the body of Christ is guilty of in painting God in these, in these lights. The first person is called a separatist. A separatist. These people, for the fear of being of the world, the separatists, the separatists have forever attempted to escape the world. Their motives may be correct, wanting to be right with God and righteous with God, but yet not contaminated, okay? And by doing that, they come out with a skewed outcome of, of, of uh, painting God to somebody else. These people are usually judgmental, socially awkward, and hate-spewing Christians. Come on, y'all know anybody like that? God hates fags. You ever seen those signs? out? You know what I'm talking about? Come on now, let's just get real. This kind of stuff exists. God hates you. You're an abomination. Come on. We, these, are, these are the socially awkward separatists. All right? They use a lot of Christianese that people have no idea what they're talking about. You see them walking down the street, and, and, and they use words with, with people that don't have a relationship with Christ, and they say things like, I'm blessed and highly favored. Now listen, if you're blessed and highly favored, I say that. I believe that. That's a confession for me. But if somebody doesn't know Jesus and I say that to them, they look at me and go, okay, you are now cuckoo. I am using lingo in a world that doesn't accept that lingo. What am I doing? I'm, come on, separating myself from them. All right? When I use words uh, uh, to, to a group of people that are not saved and I tell them God hates them, what about that makes them want to come and be with him then? These, see, these are separatists. They, 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 they have a watered-down version of the world. Like, they, you know, these are where the cheesy Christian t-shirts come from. Right? Now, there are good Christian t-shirts. I'm not saying there aren't. I'm talking about the cheesy ones. that Even the Christians look at and go, oh. <laughs> these come from separatists. They use John 15, 19 as a basis for how they're supposed to be received. John 15, 19 says, The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. And these people are okay with, with people hating them. And they're okay with people ending up hating God. And they're just like, well, enjoy hell. That's the separatists. These are the people that immediately pull the hell card out on people. Come on, y'all know somebody like that. Immediately, turn or burn. Anybody grow up in a church like that, that every youth group sermon that you ever heard or every youth camp you ever went to, it was like, if you don't change, you're going to split hell wide open and you're going in a handbasket on a greased pole. There's no hope for you. I mean, come on. I got saved so many times at youth camps and summer retreats. and all. I got saved so many times. It wasn't even anybody. Y'all laughing because y'all did the same thing. As soon as somebody got to talking about that, they'd run to the altar. Even though you were just there last week. And you're only 12. What are you really going to do in a week at 12 years old? It's really going to, you know, what is it? All right? And, and let, me just, let me just piggyback on this. I, I, I want to I make it clear, I am, not against, not, uh, I, I am not against preaching on sin. Listen, I believe that sin is a problem for people, and I believe that that's a thing that we need to overcome. Okay, so I want to qualify my next statement with that statement, okay? 
I am not soft on sin. And any of you people that are watching me online and are ready to write me on Facebook and say, you're just soft on sin. And the reason I say that is because I got three of you that emailed me two weeks ago about it. I am not soft on sin. You need to get your life right and live right. I preached it last week. All right? So I'm saying all that by qualifying this statement. All right? These, the, the preachers that get on and all they do is preach hard on sin, hard on sin, hard on sin, hard on sin. These are separatist-minded people. I don't want to have anything to do with the world at all. Here is the problem with that. They are usually extreme. Simeon Stylist was a monk-type figure, figure that lived in the Christian church around the 400s. He lived on top of a 50-foot pillar that overlooked the grounds for 36 years in order to escape the wickedness of the world. He didn't want to have anything to do with money. He didn't, I mean, nothing. He didn't want, no contamination. So he lived on top of a 36-foot tall pillar. This was a very extreme, Okay. This plan, however, backfired on him, and he became a rock star in his own right in the 400s because he attracted so much worldly fame. In the 400s, before the internet, before TV, before CNN could do the exclusive interview from down on the ground, no, it was none of that. He became regionally famous in that part of the world. And people literally traveled from all over the place to come and see this monk standing on top. And it broke his heart because he was getting famous for his actions. All right? These folks become so much unlike the world that nobody in the world wants to be like them because they can't understand where they're coming from. All right? They are willing to add to what God said, or take out of context what God said to support their fears of of going out into the world. Their separation is based on fear. I'm so afraid this is going to happen to me. I'm so afraid I'm going to be contaminated by the world. I'm so afraid that I'm going to start watering down my beliefs. I'm so afraid. Listen to me. I, again, am not saying we shouldn't build our faith and keep our faith strong. And keep, I, I'm not saying that at all. But if you are separating yourself from the world because you're afraid, you have already given control, come on, to the world. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to take a look at the very first separatist. Eve was the first separatist in the Bible. She adds to what God says here, all right? She is the best example that I could actually think of. Um, In Genesis chapter 2, verse number 14, or excuse me, 15, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now, this is God giving instruction here. God giving them a plan for their life. Okay? 
Now, if you read any more, you know, other than this, you know, he also says, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, take dominion over it. All right, this is God's plan for their life. Come on, has anybody ever got, heard God's plan for your life? You've probably, you know, I mean, some people have probably had dramatic experiences. Some people have just had a nudging and a leading. But we all know God has a plan for our lives. This just happened to be Adam and Eve's. And the specific part of the plan was, don't eat of this tree or you will surely die. There's the plan. Okay? Now let's go over one chapter, to chapter 3, and let's look and see what Eve says here. Verse number 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit, uh, eat of, the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And look what else she says there. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, we just read chapter 2 where God said that to him. Go back over there and find me in that verse where God says, don't touch it. He didn't say it. But did he say it? He didn't say it. So either Adam added to what God said, or Eve added to what God said. Bottom line is this. Both of them was wrong. They was both wrong. What happened here? She was so concerned with not following the plan of God, she actually got into fear. And some of you say, well, I don't know about that, Pastor, because sin hadn't entered the world, and sin is what, what led to, 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 sin is what, you know, led to, the, to that. Actually, you know, you can be in fear sometimes, and it's not a sin. Why do you think that when he, when he appeared to, when the angel appeared to Mary, he was like, blessed are you and highly favored, but his first words out of his mouth was fear not. Why? Because it's easy to get scared of a nine-foot-tall angel. Come on, somebody. So fear isn't sin. But she's more concerned with not following God's plan for her life. She's afraid of not doing it. Now listen, I believe that God's plan for our life is something we should be focused on, should be something that we're clear on, should be something that we want to do, but it shouldn't be something that we're afraid to not make happen. Why? I'm going to quote Yoda here. Okay? Fear leads to suffering. Suffering leads to, hey, come on, it's a slippery slope. You get in fear about something, you already opened the door for it to come into your life. You know, he looks at Luke Skywalker and he says, I sense great fear in you. <laughs> fear is the path to the dark side. I mean, come on. Nowhere did it tell God, did God, did God tell them not to touch the fruit? Now, I want to say this, if you, listen, if you have your, you yourself, all right, if you know you're the type of person that, you know what, I know if I go over there and touch that fruit, I'm probably going to want to eat it, and that's a personal choice for you, praise God, go for it. But you know what, that's a personal choice for you. And we have to stop substituting our personal, come on somebody, convictions, to what God really said. This is what separatists do all the time. They get convicted about something personally. 
And then they turn around and preach it as doctrine. And you know what? There's a lot of personal things that God's dealing with individuals about that is not necessarily for the entire body of Christ. And this is what, but this is what separatists do. Okay? There are personal convictions and not blanket convictions. Even before sin happened, Eve's fear was not doing what God said, so she actually added to his words. All right? Your weaknesses aren't everyone else's weaknesses. And your steps shouldn't be forced on everyone else's. Being in fear about sin will actually lead you to a weakened state that most likely leads to sin and separation from the world. So, how do you, how do you recognize yourself as a separatist? Three real quick ones. How do you recognize yourself as a separatist? Number one, you are more about rules than you are relationships. The one thing about separatists are they're lazy. They don't want to think about how to make their walk with God better. They're just like, give us a set of rules so we can just get it on autopilot and not think about it. These are the people that are trying to legislate everything in our country right now. This is illegal. This is okay. This is illegal. This is okay. This is illegal. This is okay. Listen to me. Rules don't fix anything when it comes to our relationship with Christ. There's, I mean, that was the whole point of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments was to show you're never going to measure up. You're doomed. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have laws. Listen, I, I live in a, in a neighborhood, and I, I, I have kids that like to get out and ride their little, their little cars around. I believe that speed limits are necessary. Come on, somebody. I believe in rules. Somebody steals something, I think they should go to jail. All right? Somebody kills somebody... You better believe they should be arrested and, and maybe even tried for the death sentence themselves. I'm, I've, I believe in rules and laws, but listen to me. We cannot rule ourselves into a proper relationship with Christ. It is a relationship, all right? So if you're more about rules than you are relationships, listen, you're trying to hide your heart um, for God behind a list of do's and don'ts, and you can't do that. It is not about do's and don'ts. The reason that I do a lot of things in my life is because of my relationship with God, we're okay with it. But there's things that I don't do in my life out of personal conviction between me and God. There are some things that are in my life uh, that I don't do because there's no negotiating. They're in the Word, and I know it's wrong. But for the most part, I mean, after that, for the most part, it's between me and Him. All right? The next thing that identifies somebody who's a separatist is they, they use microscopes to replace mirrors. Now, some of you are thinking, what does that mean? Microscopes will examine everything closely. But they shouldn't use, you shouldn't use a microscope to examine everything. You know, if you use a microscope to, to look at yourself, you're not going to see very much. This is why Jesus used the words when he said, you can go and get the speck of dust out of someone else's eye, but you're missing the log, come on, in your own. If you're so worried about what everybody else is doing wrong and where everybody else is missing it, and you're missing all the things that you got going wrong in your life, it's because you're using a microscope to examine instead of a mirror. Okay? Next, 
Performance replaces passion. It's all about what I did and not about whether or not you're doing it from here. We act like we're holy and righteous in church in front of everybody else. But we're really not that way when we get home and nobody else is around. Okay? Stop acting for one another and own up to our deep need that we all need Jesus. All right? All right, let's move on to the next person. The next person is a conformist. Now, all of you that really want me to preach on sin, you're going to like this one. All right? These are the people that, for fear of going out, um, for fear of coming out of the world, the conformists have forever become part of the world. Their motives are also correct. They want to be relevant to people out there, but their outcomes also are skewed. Many conformists become church haters and hypocrites. Conformists want to change the stereotype of Christianity, uh, and it's, oh, it's, you know, they want to change it from being lame. But they cross the line and, and the limits by simply conforming to the world instead of changing it. Basically, it's this. They become so much like the world that the world actually looks at them and says, well, why do I need anything you're saying? I'm exactly like you. It's awful quiet in this Baptist church this morning. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse number 2 says this, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times for people who love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. Now, most people read that and they go, yeah, that's what's going on in the world today. Paul is actually talking about this being in the church. He's writing this to Pastor Timothy. And here's how we know he's talking about people in the church. Verse 5, they will act religious. Go to any bar in the country right now and see, tell me where they are acting religious in bars and clubs somewhere. They aren't. Where do they act religious at? This is not talking about the world. This is talking about in the church. These are how people are going to be. Scary. They will act religious, but will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. These people trying to paint the right picture of, of God actually paint the wrong picture. How do you know if you're being a, a conformist? You allow the media to replace your own meditation on God. These people fall into a, a, a pattern of being amused by what the, the, wor- the world is saying. The word amuse means to not think. So what does that mean? They're being told what to think by what a secular society is telling them. They see something, you know, a negative report by somebody who's not even a, a Christian talking about religion in the country and church, you know, church this and Christians that, and they go, yeah, we are so bad. What, what are you basing that on? So-and-so who's not even saved, has no relationship with God, doesn't know what one looks like? A conformist will let the media tell them what to think instead of renewing their mind based on the Word of God. The second way to tell if you're a conformist is 
um, you use liberty to replace love. Listen, love is not always just free. The 60s taught us that it was. Oh, free love, man. The country's still recovering from the 60s, 50-some years later. It's true. But you know what? Love isn't always about freedom, man. It's not. And if we say, you know, if we put restrictions on things and we say, you're cramping my style, man, you don't love me, baloney. Freedom is not just about, you know, I love you, so do whatever you want. Paul writes to Corinthians in chapter verses 8 and 9, it says not to place a stumbling block in front of your brother. What's he talking about? You're not just free to act however you want to act. Do whatever you want to do. All you people think I'm preaching soft on sin. I don't believe that. Paul said don't cause your brother to stumble. This is, the, this is the one true verse when it comes to whether, you know, if, if, if you believe that social drinking is okay. I'm not going to get into it. That's a whole sermon in and of itself. But if it causes somebody else to stumble, that's something you should be thinking about. If somebody else sees you do it, and then they go do it, and then they turn into an alcoholic and a lush, well, they're an adult and they should know better. Well, what if they'd have never tried it if they hadn't, come on somebody, if they hadn't seen you do it? Liberty does not replace love, okay? It may, it may not be a sin, but what if it causes someone else to? Come on. Number three, they use tolerance to replace truth. We need to remember that right beliefs should never become any beliefs. There are a lot of things that are non-negotiable in the word. But there are a lot of personal things um, that God speaks to us about, and and we shouldn't confuse the two. All right, and there are and the things that we can all agree on that are in the Word, they're they're non-negotiable. And I'm not going to be tolerable of people that you know that say that there's many ways to heaven. No, there isn't many ways ways to heaven. There's one way, and His name's Jesus Christ. Now that don't mean we can't get along. That don't mean that we can't function together and we can't coexist. But I am not going to accept the fact that I can get to heaven any other way. Okay? There's, there's, there are other things in the Word that are non-negotiable. All right? And so tolerance has its place, but it doesn't take a place above the truth in my life. All right? These are the, 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 the characteristics of a conformist. The last one is this, the transformist. This is the alter- alternative to the two. This is the exception. These are the people that live in the paradox. They live in the world, but are not of the world. They are characterized by balance and relevance. They teeter-totter to embrace both God and the people, that, even people that aren't saved. They balance Christianity and culture. This invites tension into their lives that keeps them balanced. Because they're always working on that balance. They recognize that only Jesus can keep us on that fine line. These are people that are like the Apostle Paul. Who knows about the world that they live in, but can effectively change the world they live in with the power of God and the word of God as their only ally. 
In Acts chapter 17, verse number 16, and we're not going to read all this. I would encourage you to read the, the whole thing all the way down to 32. But a couple of things I want to pull out for you real quick. Now, while Paul was waiting uh, for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. Now catch that, because he's not just talking to Christians here. He's talking to Jewish people and other devout people. Now other devout people would mean people that worship the idols in town. Okay, And in the marketplace every day with those who just happened to be there. He's out talking to people that aren't like him. Okay? Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers all also conversed with him. And some say, said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens... Not brothers and sisters, come on somebody. Not, not fellow ministers, not first church of the frozen chosen, not, no, no, none of that. He's saying, men of Athens, I perceive that in, a, in, in every way that you are very, come on, what's that next word there, religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. What did he do? He went right down to where they were, knew exactly what they were talking about, exactly what was going on in the town, and what happened? Started talking to him about it. Let's skip way down to verse number 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, they, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed among whom also were Dionysus, the Arapagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. Now I want you to check this out. Paul walked right into the middle of them, didn't go, oh, I can't be here, there are foreign idols here. Come on now. He didn't walk in and be like, oh, cool, foreign idols, let me worship them with you. What did he do? He balanced both. He knew who they were, and found the one that said to the God that we don't know about and started talking to him about it and then preached Jesus to him and made a difference. Come on, the same thing, almost the exact same thing happens over in Acts 26 when he talks to, to uh, King Agrippa. And there he's talking to all Jews. And what's he start talking about? He starts talking like a Jew. He starts talking about one of the Pharisees. He starts talking like I was one of them. And, he, and then he starts telling his story. He transforms his world. You could read that whole thing all the way down to 32 where, where Paul actually goes in and he makes such an impact that the king of the, of, the, of the area, King Agrippa says, 
you have almost persuaded me to be a Christian. That is, come on somebody, transforming your world. He wasn't afraid to talk about Judaism. He wasn't afraid to talk about what was going on. He wasn't afraid of it. He didn't do it, but he didn't separate himself so far from it. We have been called to transform this world, to be a light, to tell people good news, not to separate from them, not to be unfamiliar with them, but to touch their world and transform it. The only way to transform someone's world is by believing what we say we believe, acting like we say we should act, but identifying and connecting with where they are. We can be holy, we can be right with God, but we can also be relevant and cool. (laughs) We can do it without offending God, and we can do it without offending people. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll close here. Verse 19 says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things, come on somebody, to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in their share in its blessings. Kids are getting ready to go back to school and we probably need to go and get them. Somebody needs to go and all right. We're gonna do that in a minute. So if you want to go tell them to Okay. We're going to pray over the students here in a minute that are going back to school because this is what they should be doing when they go back. They shouldn't be afraid to go to school and, and, and they shouldn't be afraid to go and, 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 and participate in the, in the, in the things uh, at school. You know, I grew up in a strict Pentecostal church and I never missed one prom. Not one. I know you all want to see the pictures. Too bad. All right. I grew, I grew up in a strict Pentecostal church and never, never missed one homecoming dance. Never missed one, no, never missed one football game. Never missed one concert with my friend. Never missed any of that stuff. Why? Because we were called to be there more than just to take up space. And everybody knew I was a Christian. I had my time where I walked away from God. And some say, well, you probably wouldn't have walked away from God if you had, you know, hadn't gone to all that worldly stuff, you know. I went through all that stuff too, backward masking, burned all my Kiss albums. I did all that stuff. Come on, anybody, anybody else do that in the 80s? Burn all your secular albums because they had hidden messages about Satan in the background. And all that. I, I went through all that. And I realized that it wasn't making any impact on anybody's life except mine. But the moment I started connecting with people where they were and trying to bring them to my Jesus instead of me just bringing Jesus down to them. See, you can't do that. You can't bring Jesus down. You have to go and get somebody. Come on, because Jesus, Jesus ain't coming down. Come on, somebody. The Bible says he's seated in the heavenly places. Come on. He's not coming down. You can't water that down. You can't make it. What, what happens if you water it down? You're just like Eve. You're adding to what's being said. That doesn't work. 
But you can't take what he's saying and beat him over the head with it either. You come and you lead them to him. Then they decide. And if they decide different, I throw my arms around them and say, you know what, I still love you. Let's be friends. I still love you. Let's have a relationship. Come on, somebody. And then we transform them that way. Amen? 